0: You are listening to the Relationships Made Easy podcast with Dr. Abby Medcalf. Change your relationship even if your partner won't do a thing. You're listening to the Relationships Made Easy podcast, episode nine. Hey, everybody. You're listening to the Relationships Made Easy podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Abby Medcalf. Welcome back. Very excited to have you here today. Today's title of the podcast is Codependency Isn't What You Think It Is. And it's, I think, a big day to be listening to the podcast because we're going to tackle this huge topic that so many of you have written in about. (laughs) Codependency is the thing. I've gotten so many questions from you uh, over and over, and I'm going to teach you today what it really is, offer you some simple questions to ask yourself you know so you know if you've got it if you've got codependency if you're being codependent and then my top tips for stopping any codependent behavior how do you like that so uh that's what we're going to do today now These words, you know, enabling or codependent, they've been around a long time, many, many years, but so many people think they only refer to partners of alcoholics or parents of drug addicts, you know, that somehow you have to have addiction uh, going around to be called codependent. And these words definitely apply across the spectrum and can happen to anyone, no matter how healthy or how well-meaning, all of us have been codependents at some point, I think. So... Well, let's get down to business. First, let's, you know, let's start with some definitions. And the, to me, the simplest definition for codependency I've ever seen is that codependency means that you're depending on something outside of yourself to provide some sense of your well-being. And again, this happens to all of us at different times. So this could mean a lot of things, such as uh, You know, if you feel anxious because your mom told you it was a big mistake to let your son Johnny drop out of baseball and now he's going to be a quitter the rest of his life. Has that happened to you? Maybe if you feel hopeless when your partner comes home in a bad mood again. If you feel enraged every time you see your boss because she passed you over for that promotion six weeks ago. If you feel guilty that you said no to helping out with the bake sale at your kid's school, even though you've helped out with the past 20 bake sales. Yeah, I see you out there. Uh, you might feel guilty. Maybe it does have to do with drugs and alcohol. Maybe you cover for your husband again when he's too hung over to make it to your kid's soccer game. It's codependent if you're overly worried or obsessed about someone else's emotions, period. Period. If you're in any way doing more than you should normally do, all because you're looking for someone else's approval or avoiding someone's upset. So in some way, you know, their reactions or what they're saying or doing is involving you and what you end up doing or thinking or saying. Or let me give you a last example of codependency is doing something in your relationship out of fear. You're afraid your partner will leave you, so you act a certain way. You give money to your deadbeat brother because you're afraid you'll become homeless otherwise. You call the school and beg your kid's teacher to give your kid another chance at the math final. These are all codependent. They, they are. That's what they are. They're in some way, you're and you might be arguing with me about a few of these, and that's okay. That's part of what we're going to talk about today is, is really the breadth and depth of this. So now... We've all taken part in feeling crappy around someone else's behavior. I have, you have, you're not listening, and you haven't had that. We all have. It's not about feeling a certain way, though, momentarily. It's about how long that feeling lasts and how often you stew about it. So, of course, God forbid, someone dies, something you found out someone you love has cancer, of course you're going to feel bad. Does that mean you're codependent? No. It means you're codependent if you you found out that you're... I don't know, again, God forbid that your mom has cancer and four months later, you're still not back at work because you can't deal, or your other relationships have fallen apart because of this, or your own health is been degrading and getting worse slowly over the last four months, or do you get where I'm going here? It, it's really about the length, to me, the length of time and how it affects other things and how much you're thinking about it. So... The You know, the queen of codependency, and I, I mean for writing about it, not for necessarily being one, because I don't know her, but it is, is a woman named Melody Beatty. And she wrote a really famous book in the late 80s, I, I think maybe around 87, if I had to take a guess, called Codependent No More. And this was the Bible. And in there, she says, it was interesting, you know, that she says that children... Dev- Uh, that codependence really develops when children are in some kind of unbalanced relationship with their parents. And they learn in that relationship to put their own needs and wants aside in order to meet their parents' needs. And they do this maybe to gain their parents' affection, attention, approval, something. And Beatty says this sets the stage for that kid to grow up and recreate or be drawn to this dynamic in their adult relationships. And it often takes people a few relationships or jobs, because that's a relationship, right, before they realize that their problems are not simply the wrong partner or the wrong job, but actually these unhealthy habits they've developed over time. And I can certainly relate to this. I was definitely in, you know, the same kind of relationship over and over due to my uh, somewhat troubled relationship with my own mom. And, you know, I would kind of recreate that over and over. And I think a lot of us have thought, oh, wow, I married my dad or I married my mom or I married whoever, because it doesn't look like it on the outside, but we are. We're drawn to that person that it's not the person. It's really that relationship, that comfort, even though it's uncomfortable, even though we don't like it, maybe it's comfortable on some psychic level and we're drawn to it. Now, so, you know, when people suffer from codependency, we often see emotional problems. We might see depression, anxiety, or just general relationship dysfunctions. And we can also see physical problems. And I see these mostly with some sort of stomach upset. That could be um, like irritable bowel syndrome or Diarrhea, just you know, your tummy feeling yucky, and having uh, maybe even colitis or ulcers. Those are the most common. Just you know, a rumbly tummy, I call it, or just not feeling hungry, lack of appetite. Uh, all those things can are real physical ways that codependency shows up. Also, migraines and headaches. That's pretty common. Rashes or skin problems. Um, sometimes high blood pressure, sleep issues—all these are the ways I see it showing up the most. Um, obviously, if you're so stressed and so codependent, you could end up having a heart attack, for God's sakes, or a stroke. So, I mean, there's certainly very big extremes, but these are the things I see the most um, with the people I work with over the last 30 years um, that come up the most. So, and a lot of times people haven't put that together—that their codependency is actually related you know or that their feelings, you know, their upset stomach constantly is actually related to their codependency. So, it's an important thing I think to point out and, you know, think about for yourself. So, for people who are truly codependent, there to me are two big ironies at play. You know, there's two big ironies at the table if you're codependent, truly codependent. And the first is that as much as a codependent person feels responsibility for others and takes care of others, they believe deep down that other people are responsible for them. They end up blaming others for their unhappiness and problems and feel it's other people's fault that they're unhappy. So if you're thinking it's someone else's fault that you're unhappy, you just might be codependent. Just throwing that out there. Now, and second, as much as the codependent feels controlled by other people and events, they themselves are sometimes overly controlling or what I like to call control enthusiasts. They're afraid of Allowing other people to be who they are and of allowing events to happen naturally. They become experts in what's right and what should happen. So the codependent tries to control others sometimes through threats, you know, it could be c- coercion, domination, or it could be things like suggestions or advice giving or playing helpless, or it could be guilt. Uh, that's the Jewish way, of course, my people. Um, it could be manipulation. All of these things are ways that the codependent tries to control what's going on. And again, it's because they're so afraid of just allowing things to happen. Oh, what if this person gets mad? I'm gonna make I'm gonna make sure they don't get mad. So I'm gonna set up all these things so they don't. Now, again, it can seem really nice in your head, like, oh, well, I'm helping them not to be upset, aren't I? Great. But really, it's not that. You're not allowing other people their emotions, and it's really for you. You don't want to be dealing with their upset. And it's a, it's truly a selfish act, actually, even though I would not call any of you selfish, nor would I call myself, I've been codependent. It's, it's not that we're purposely being selfish, but it is really what it is at the end of the day. So, okay. But let's talk about some other symptoms of codependency. Sometimes we see difficulty having fun, Uh, judging yourself or others without mercy, Low self-esteem is definitely in this category, often projected onto others. You know, uh, so we have low self-esteem, but we say things like, you know, why don't they get their act together? That kind of thing. and We project it onto other people. Uh, belief that others cause or are responsible for your emotions. That's codependent. Overreacting to change or intense fear or... Of or inability to deal with change. Change can be a biggie for codependence, and because, again, they're trying to control everything, and change <laughs> does not go in well with that. Um, some other signs or symptoms of codependency can be an inability to see alternatives to situations, so you respond very impulsively, very black and white. There can be a lack of self-confidence in making decisions, so no sense of power in making choices. Some other symptoms of codependency could be fear of anger or or maybe you're someone who bottles it up until it explodes, hypersensitivity to criticism, Uh, being addicted to excitement or drama, you know, when you're chaos-making all the time. Uh, Obviously, a dependency on others and fear of abandonment go in this category. And the last one I think I see a lot is this rigidity. And again, we've talked about this, or need to control control. So those are a lot of the common symptoms of codependency, and now lots of people make the mistake of thinking of others before they think of themselves, let's face it. You know, we see this behavior quite a bit in women and mothers, but, you know, anyone can get caught in this kind of unhealthy cycle, you know, of behavior. So it's sometimes difficult to know if you're being codependent, which is unhealthy, or supportive and kind, which is healthy. So, it's super important to be able to distinguish between those two things. Are you being codependent or are you being supportive? I get this a lot when people come in. This is the number one thing. So, here's the key the next time you're not sure if you're doing too much for someone else, I want you to ask yourself these four questions I'm about to give you. These filters will help you answer the question Am I being codependent? Because, you know, at any time you can be. Uh, have lack of self-confidence or, you know, be rigid or controlling or, you know, judge others or whatever. But if you, if again, if all those symptoms I listed off feel like you all the time, then you're probably having an issue with codependency. But here's, Another filter, if you're like, well, I have some of those some of the time, I'm not really sure, or doesn't every, isn't everybody a little controlling? Um, not everybody is, by the way. <laughs> I, I know, I was shocked when I heard this too. Um, but these four questions will really help you, I believe, answer, am I being codependent right this minute? Because uh, that's what you need in the moment is, oh, is, is, is this what I'm doing right now? Uh, So the first one, and I have to say, if you're going to remember any of these four, remember this one. This is the one I use the most, and that is, who's working harder? That's the first question I want you to ask yourself. Am I working harder than the other person? If you're helping someone else out in any situation, they should be putting in at least as much effort as you are, right? just at least as much, I think more. If you're the one running around ragged and they have time to watch a movie, then you're being codependent. If you're the one worried about whether they'll make their rent and they're telling you it'll all work out, not to worry about it, then you're being codependent. Now, what happens is, and I hear this a lot, uh, for example, I had a woman the other night, a couple the other night in here, and they were arguing because uh, she was reminding the husband uh, to, he was bringing their son to soccer practice and she was saying, oh, don't forget his cleats, you know, and, and she like must've told him like three times not to forget the cleats. And he, this drives him nuts. He feels like she nags. He feels like she doesn't even give him room to forget or to not do it or whatever. And her issue is, well, if he forgets them, which he has before, you know, to her credit, he has definitely forgotten the cleats before. If he forgets, she said, then he called, and she's the one who had to, and I'm quoting, bring them to the field. And I said, there's a few issues here. Number one, you know, the son can remember to bring the cleats, okay? That's one. It doesn't just have to be the parents saying, being the only ones who need to remember this. But number two, what if you just said, no, I'm not bringing the cleats? Nope. Not bringing them. This happened to you. You'll need to deal with the consequences. I'm not dealing with them. And she said, well, then he's going to get really mad at me. And we're going to have, you know, this big fight. And... you know, there was this fear of his anger, of his being upset, of his being annoyed. And so we talked about that in session, and and he admitted that he does that. And he also admitted that he does that because it he didn't realize it when he was doing it, but that it seems to work, that she'll do a lot of things because she's worried about his reaction. Um, and so it makes his life easier, and he does it. And, again, he wasn't aware he was doing this. This is not a horrible man, but... It's kind of common. And so I hear this a lot from people. Well, my life's going to be harder if so and so does something. So I I need to do it. I need to be in charge of this. So and they end up working harder. And I say no. That that's not that's that's a cop out. That's you wanting to work harder and wanting to be codependent and you need to get out of that. This fear of what might happen, what what would happen if the brother became homeless. What would happen if your child forgot their cleats? What would happen if your husband, you know, if you didn't cover for his hangover and the kids were upset and found out what would happen? You know, we'd have some mess, right? There'd be some mess. Mess is life. This is part of what happens. How can you extricate yourself from that mess? How can you pull yourself out? And again, it doesn't mean that you can't do things for other people. Of course you can. It just means you can't work harder than them. You can't be more inconvenienced, you know, or more upset or more worried than they are. That's the thing. So who's working harder? That's your first question. I really want you to use that no matter what else and it'll really help. Now, obviously, by the way, With our children, (laughs) like this is, it gets hard, doesn't it? Because when kids are little, little, we do have to work a lot harder than them. That's just how it works. But then there's this transition where we really shouldn't be working so much harder. And in this case, by the way, so this that I just mentioned with this couple uh, and their kid forgetting the cleats, this kid was eleven. And I said, you know, your son is 11 years old. He sure remembers frigging cleats. And if he doesn't have them, then he's the one who has to deal with the consequence on the the field. Sliding around, you know, and and the two of them are like, well, he could get hurt. I'm like, yeah, he could you know, he could, it's, it's not likely, you know, let's, let's get real. Um, but it's possible and, or maybe he has to sit out that practice. Maybe he goes all the way to practice and has to sit on the bench the entire time because he didn't bring his cleats. You know, again, natural consequences can also often be very helpful in helping people remember better the next time. So, okay. Who's working harder? My second question to ask yourself for am I being codependent is what's my motive? So why I want you to ask yourself, why am I doing this? Are you doing this for yourself or for the other person? You want to check your motives and understand the why behind your actions. Is it to make yourself feel better or to get something done quicker? Uh, that's me, by the way, I have to say, I, I, you know, we're constantly just, it's taking too long when they do it, right? Have you ever watched a, you know, four-year-old try to zip up a jacket? You'll, you'll see how your patience is <laughs> anyway. Um, are you doing this out of guilt, shame, or to avoid embarrassment? Do you like the feeling of other people needing you? This was a biggie for me when I was younger. I liked that other people counted on me and needed me. It made me feel okay in the world. I had super low self-esteem, didn't think much of myself. So I was constantly doing for other people and putting myself in situations where they would need me. Um, and then, by the way, I would get resentful about the fact that they always needed me. but Because I never felt like I got as much out of it as I put into it, right? It, never, it always felt like everybody around me needed more. Uh, And I was always doing for them. But then when it came time for me, they wouldn't do for me or they weren't doing to the level that I was. So I would always maybe call when someone was sick. But then when I was sick, I, I I wouldn't hear a peep. And this is a lot of what happens with codependency. We look like super women. We look so strong and together. And you could be a Superman out there if you're listening. But we look so strong and together. And we're always that rock. We're always that person people can count on. So they kind of don't think about us in that way. Like that we would need something. That you know, they should even ask. We just seem so together. And this is a problem. So what's my motive is a biggie. Um, you know sometimes you'll check in and see that your motives are completely altruistic. You will. You'll see that you're a total rock star, lovely Mother Teresa person in the world. But other times, really, it's you're thinking, what's in it for me? And you'll notice that this is more about you than the other person. Doing things for others out of fear isn't love. It's, it's really a form of selfish anxiety. It is really, and you gotta look about this motive. What what is this that I'm doing? Now I talk a lot about coming from love, not fear. The fear-based emotions are the things when you say, Well, I'm worried that, I'm concerned that, I'm afraid of the obviously fear-based, right? So jealousy, resentment, anxiety, depression, sadness. Oh, well, not really sadness, but Things, uh, depression would be because that's the extreme of that. Uh, Rage, helplessness, hopelessness, uh, these obviously hate and and that kind of stuff. These are all fear based emotions. These are not emotions from love. Love is our gratitude, appreciation, kindness, compassion, all those good things, okay? And so, and I'll give you another example of uh, a codependent thing that really falls in line with this. I had a couple in my office and um not that not too long ago. They they all blur together. Sorry I'm old and I forget timing, but (laughs) and the they had an argument in the office. They were sorta doing something and I interrupted that. I don't like people just to sit and go over all resentments in the office. It doesn't help. But anyway, I sort of interrupted it and the wife says, you know, she said to him, you know, I love you so much. This is really painful because, you know, I love you. And he and he said he goes i hate when she does that and she got very upset she goes i can't say i love you that's crazy you know look at him and she looked to me like i should get on her side like i say i love you and he won't even say it back and i'm trying to be in the space and he doesn't want to be da 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 and i knew why he felt ucky about it i felt ucky when she said it in the room Uh, because I can't give you her intonation in the moment and what exactly happened, but what was clear to me is she was saying, I love you out of fear. She was in a space with him. She felt unsure. They just had this argument. She was not feeling herself. She was not confident. And she was saying, I love you in this kind of reaching, grasping way. And he said, she does this all the time at home. You know, we'll argue or something's going on or I'm mad and she says, I love you. And she's mad that I don't say it back. And we get in these arguments about it. And he goes, it's just not, I don't like it. He said, I don't know why I don't like it. I know it sounds like I'm an asshole when I say it, but I don't like it. And I I told him what I'm telling you right now. I said, you don't like it because it's not from love. She's not saying I love you from a loving place. She's saying it out of fear. And that's why it hits you the wrong way. And you might notice this in your own relationships, that someone says certain things to you, could be a mother, dad, brother, you know, your partner, whatever. And you just get that ucky feeling, even though the words they said were, I guess, good, like I love you. But- something about it just doesn't sit right. It's this, it's this, it's really this codependent behavior and which is unhealthy. So it feels yucky. It's from fear. You react to it. Your, your little amygdala lights up, feels the fear and you're reacting to that. So what's my motive is a big one. So it could be, what's your own motive? What's other people's motive, but it's a big one. You know, why are you doing this? What's in it for you? What, what's going on that's spurring the behavior you're having? Okay. Third thing to ask yourself if you're wondering, am I being codependent? Is what does your gut say? Ask yourself, what does my gut say? A lot of times we know that what we're doing is wrong or unhealthy because we get that funny feeling. You know that funny feeling I'm talking about. It's very important to listen to the voice in your head. Are you feeling resentful or disappointed with the other person when you're helping them? If so, this is probably not something you need to be doing, or you need to be clearer on why you're doing it. Listening to that, again, it's kind of like what I just, the example I just gave with what's my motive, this, this husband was knowing, his gut was telling him it was weird when she says, I love you. He just didn't know what it meant. He didn't know where to follow it, but he could tell it's the same thing sometimes when you're doing something for someone, you know, you're not being supportive, you know, it's codependent, but you sort of rationalize and tell yourself something different, you know, in your thoughts, but your feelings, your gut catches on and it knows, you know, this is not cool. I've got a funny feeling about this. I hear people say it all the time. I hear them say, I knew I should have, or I knew I shouldn't have or whatever. It's like, you do know, but somehow you don't, key into that. You're not, you ignore it. And I need you not to ignore it. Okay. So the number, the fourth question to ask yourself, if you're wondering if you're codependent is, am I teaching them to fish? Okay. So you need to ask yourself, will what I'm doing result in this other person learning new skills so they can do it on their own next time? Or are they going to have to keep coming back to me? Whatever you're doing for someone else should be helping them reach their next level of autonomy. If the other person will be dependent on you for this particular thing, every time it comes up, that's a problem. You need to teach. You need to be teaching them to fish, not giving them a fish. You might remember that old parable. So really be thinking it through. Notice for number one, if this is the 10th or second or fifth time that you've done whatever it is for someone. Do they keep coming back? Do they keep asking? One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Okay, so that's my four questions to ask yourself, the four filters to look at for am I being codependent? Who's working harder? What's my motive? What does my gut say? And am I teaching them to fish? Those are your four. And if you answered yes to any of these, it's likely you've got a wee bit of an issue around codependency. And if that's the case, there's a way out. And I have created really what I think of is like four steps to practice to get out of codependent patterns and into healthy, fulfilling, satisfying relationships. So, because the codependent patterns, because they're fear-based, leave you feeling resentful, uh, annoyed, frustrated, anxious, sad, depressed, all that good stuff, right? We don't want any of that. And that's certainly not the healthy, connected, fulfilled relationship that I'm always talking about with people. So, I've got these four steps that I've been using with clients for years that really help, you know, really help people get, oh, okay, I can really move from this. So using the four filters can help you stop what you're doing, right, can help you stop it in the moment. But to really get to a point where it's not even on the table, I like these four steps. So the first step is to know and believe and remember that you can't really control others. Really. I know this sounds obvious, but it's not to so many of you. No matter how much you push, manipulate, control, or threaten, you ultimately can't really control other people's actions or behaviors. When you believe this, it allows you to focus on yourself and not them. You need to find ways to make yourself happy and fulfilled outside of your relationship with other people. Don't rely on other people to make you happy. It is, first of all, it's just, it's not their job. And second of all, you'll end up disappointed and frustrated a lot. I say a lot that happiness and fulfillment, they're an inside job. And if so, why are you outsourcing it to somebody outside the company? You know, it, it's really all about you. It is, I'm sorry, uh, <laughs> You know, again, I hated learning this, too. I'm, I'm there with you. I'm in the struggle with you. I am quite the control enthusiast. I still go there when I'm afraid, especially, I think, around my children. I can get very controlling around my children. Uh, but I can do it around my partner, too, and other people. Don't, not, not to worry. If you're out there, I can get controlling. Any of my clients right now who are listening are laughing because I can be very controlling with my clients, too, because I care about them, right? I'm watching them maybe get hurt or get into bad situations, so I worry. Uh, so, yeah. So you not controlling others, I you know, it's really our own feelings of codependency. That's what that is, that we're so afraid of things naturally unfolding. And we think, oh, well, I know how it's going to turn out. I know how to avoid this pain. I know how to do this. That's not your job. It's your job to a degree when your kids are tiny. But other than that, stop it. You know, allow people to have their process. It's important. Okay. So my, that's step number one. You can't control others. Step number two for getting out of codependent patterns and into healthy, fulfilling relationships is to separate yourself. What your child, boss, partner, or parent does or says is not you. So yeah, our, our children are reflections of us to some extent. I get that. But their victories and losses need to belong to them and not you. Yeah, your partner might have said something embarrassing at that party last night, but let them deal with the aftermath, not you. Yeah, your parents might need to sell their home because they've made multiple poor monetary decisions, but that's their consequences to deal with. I think you see a theme here, right? People can't learn from their mistakes if they're overprotected. It's your job to support the relationships in your life, not direct or save them. I'm going to repeat that. Okay, I'm going to repeat this because it's really important and people, you, you guys miss this. It's your job to support the relationships in your life, not direct or save those relationships. So again, support is not codependency. Support is that you might listen to your parents talk about, you know, what they're going to do around their home and that kind of thing. But in the end, it's their choice. And you might be thinking, well, I'm never going to let my parents be homeless. I'm never going to allow that happen. I understand that. And you're going to have to choose something in between. You're going to have to choose something that doesn't mean that you control and do everything, but maybe that doesn't mean you allow them to be homeless. And again, I would say to you, are they really going to be homeless? I'm not sure. I I think people jump to these places very quickly. So um, for example, I have a, I've had clients pretty common over the years who have children who are, you know, have some sort of Mess, You know, they're, maybe they have mental health issues. Maybe they have drug and alcohol issues. Maybe they have something. And they're, you know, failing out of school or doing bad things or whatever. And I often, you know, it's real hard to figure out where that line is. And so my thing is, you know, they tend to work harder than the kid. <laughs> they t- right? They tend to try to control what's going on and that kind of thing. So I really have them step back from that. And really get down to the nitty-gritty. It's like, what can't you risk? You know, I often tell them I think it's okay to risk them going to jail. I know that's a horrible thing, but sometimes that can really help people. You know, if there's a, I have a client who had, you know, a son got a DUI and he or a drunken reckless or something, and he wasn't dealing with the consequences of it. He was supposed to, you know, go to AA meetings or he was supposed to do like three things and then go back to the court. And she was freaking out about it. He's 20 years old, living away at school. And I said, "You got to let him deal. Let him deal. He might fall. He might have harsher consequences. Let him deal. Um, but there's other things, and, and maybe you can't let that one go. I don't know what you're going to be. But my what I've seen happen over and over is those kids who get saved over and over, they just end up in more and more trouble because they don't know what are consequences. They don't know what you know what's going to happen. They keep getting saved, so they keep doing the same things. They don't learn." Um, And this is really giving someone a fish instead of teaching them to fish kind of thing. One of the things that I've supported a lot of parents doing is paying for their children's health insurance. Because at the end of the day, if your kid was, you know, dying in a hospital somewhere, there's no way you wouldn't go pay that bill, right? There's just no way. And for most people. And And it's, and I don't judge you if you would, you know, we get to a point sometimes with our kids where, you know, they're adults and they need to make their own choices. Um, But I do have a lot of parents who say, I just, I wouldn't be able to deal with that. I'm like, all right, then pay their health insurance, pay that every month, whatever that is, but don't pay anything else. Don't pay car insurance, don't pay for their cell phone, you know, and I hear the cell phone thing a lot. Well, I have to pay for the cell phone because I want to be able to reach them. I say, no, stop. Stop kids are very, very resourceful, usually who are in these situations they'll figure it out they'll figure out how to get a phone paid for they'll they'll figure out how to do it if they want it bad enough. you know you just you got to figure out where those boundaries are for you so at the end of the day, separating yourself, realizing that what other people choose is not you and you know it's funny, I remember when my um my my boy was in kindergarten and uh, he's very young, so he went into kindergarten. Actually, they don't even do that anymore. they cut off this pass where his birthday is now, so he wouldn't have you know these days he wouldn't have have even been able to go into kindergarten at at four years old you know but the, these days the, these days it's i think five and above, but at those at those times um that happened, and he ended up having a hard first year in kindergarten, and we ended up doing it again, and I was sitting there thinking, I remember fighting it in my head like. You know, kindergarten. Who 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 cares, right? And I'm sitting there in those little tiny chairs that give you low self-esteem, you know, in the classroom, talking to the teacher, and uh, and I'm I'm looking at his dad, and I'm going, "Oh my gosh, like really, is this going to happen?" And and it was, by the way, the best decision we ever made was having him do another year of kindergarten. But beyond that, it it was my own feelings of how that reflected on me. And here I am, a PhD, and, you know, Ivy League educated, and blah, blah, blah. And I had a whole thing about it. And I had to get over that. I had to move through that. It was silly, and I wasn't in it long, but it definitely was there when I realized I was kind of fighting the suggestion. I was like, well, really? Why does he need it? And we could do this, and give him other support, and blah, blah, blah. And the teacher was lovely, and was just being very clear. But again, it's hard sometimes to separate ourselves, and to really see the person as just the person, and not a reflection of us, or something we do wrong necessarily, but just them. Okay, number three in the four steps to practice to get out of codependent patterns uh, is to wait to respond. One of my favorites, so easy to do and so hard to or so simple to say, sorry, and so hard to do. <laughs> so take a breath and think instead of reacting or responding right away to whatever gets put in front of you. In other words, allow some space for others to come to their own conclusions. Allow some space for yourself so you can think things through and keep yourself separate while remaining kind and loving. Hear that again. Allow some space for yourself. I don't remember how I said it, but so you can think things through, right? And keep yourself separate while remaining kind and loving. That's, that's that thing. And here's the bottom line. You can feel compassion for someone else without having to act on it in the moment. You can be there for another person without taking any action or saying anything. The best help you can be is one of supportive silence often. Ask questions to help the other person clarify their situation and create healthy solutions, but don't fix it for them. Don't offer advice or make suggestions. What do I say all the time? Don't sack your relationships. Don't, don't offer advice. Uh, don't give suggestions. Don't offer advice and don't criticize. So you know you got to let the other person find their own way. When you do something for someone else that they could do for themselves, you're not helping them. You're hindering them. I need to say that really clearly to you. It's the truth. If you're doing something that someone else could do for themselves, but you're doing it, you're you're not helping them. You're 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 stopping them from realizing their own potential and developing their own self-esteem and mastery. And I know this concept is hard for a lot of us, you know, as parents, spouses, sons, daughters, we, we take on roles that have us thinking of other people's wants and needs before our own. So allowing others to face natural consequences is an important part of being in a healthy relationship and waiting to respond can do that. And It's really that breath, again, that you sit in. And I think we're just so used to stimulus response, stimulus response. You know, someone says something, we have to give an answer. We have to give an answer. Happens a lot with our kids. And a lot when I'm working with parents around how to be with their children, it's probably the biggest thing that happens is they make the mistake of giving a response right away instead of saying to their kid, well, I'm going to go talk to, you. I'm going to, talk to your mother about this and I'll get back to you. you know, but the kids will jam us. They'll be at us, right? <laughs> that's their job. Going, well, what about this? And what about that? And I need an answer now. And I have to know. It's like, well, that's too bad. You're not going to know right now. You're going to have to sit. But again, we get codependent. We worry like, oh, they're going to get upset. They're going to be mad at me. So I want to give them an answer now. It, stop it. Just wait to respond. Take a breath. You want to act, not react. You're right. Remember what re means in the beginning of the word. It means again. Reacting means you're acting again. You're doing the same thing you've done over and over and over that's gotten you in this place. So you want to act. You want to be thoughtful. You want to take a moment. Wait to respond. Take a breath. Really remember that you can say, I'll get back to you. You're allowed to say, I'll get back to you anywhere. At work, with your partner, with your kids, with your mom. Doesn't matter. You're allowed to say, I'll get back to you. Okay. And number four. Four to, is to practice loving detachment. I say this for last because this is the biggie. And this is a little different than separating yourself because separating yourself just means that you don't see the other person as a reflection on you. But this is a little different. The loving detachment, and this is a, it's a difficult concept for a lot of people. Uh, but practicing it is key if you want to stop doing too much for others. When you're practicing loving detachment, it means that you're separating yourself emotionally spiritually, or mentally from another person and what they're doing, saying, or thinking. I'm eyeballing you people out there who think you can read minds. I see you. I see you. (laughs) Now, detaching yourself from other people's behaviors and words is great in theory, but it can be a difficult thing to actually do. It takes a lot of courage and strength to see that you can be happy no matter what other people do. Now, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying it's quite possible, right? The bottom line is that you need to have a healthy relationship with yourself first before you can have a healthy relationship with anybody else. I say this over and over. It's on my website. It's everywhere. You got to have a healthy relationship with yourself first before you can have it with anyone else. So asking yourself these questions will help you understand yourself better and strengthen your own boundaries and values. You want to work on these four areas and you'll quickly find yourself more at peace in all your relationships, right? And this loving detachment, this last piece of it is, is key is to, is to feel the love, not the fear, not the, well, F you or screw you, or I hate you. So I'm going to detach, but to do it with love, to do it from a, a loving, heartfelt place, a kind place And for a lot of you out there, it just feels mean anytime you say no or anytime you draw a boundary or anytime you tell someone how you truly feel. It's not mean. It's honest. It's clear. Now, I don't like the term brutally honest. I think that's just brutal. And if you hear it, Brutal, Like what is, yikes, why would I ever want to be brutal with the people I love? I don't want to be brutal. Being direct is fine. Being clear is great, you know, right? Just being honest is awesome, but you don't have to be brutally honest. You're still allowed to say things in a way that's caring and kind. And really, that's how things are received the best. There's no two ways about it. Now, um, I know I have at least one client, you know who you are, who's maybe listening right now, (laughs) who I... I once told to get her head out of her ass. And I think I've said that to more than one client. Uh, that doesn't sound so so loving and compassionate. I, there's definitely been times when I've just been with a person going, I'm worried for you. You know, you're making some really bad decisions and you need to get your head out of your butt here. Like, this is not working. So, I, but I will say that I always say it. And in, and in, in this client, when I first said it to her, who I'm thinking of, um, she I had the session with her, and uh, she went away. because was, She was super codependent with her husband. She went away, and about a year later, she called me, and she said, hey, I got my head out of my ass. I'd really like to come in and see you. And it was really funny, and I actually hadn't remembered saying it to her, and I was a little embarrassed. I said, oh, God, did I say that? And she said, no, it was the best thing that ever got said. It was great that you said it. It really stuck with me Um, because I really got all the other things you said and because I was overall very nurturing and loving because that's my way. Uh, It's just kind of how I roll and how I present because it's how I feel. So when you do it in that tone or in that light, when you're really saying it in that way... Um, as opposed to come, calling someone a jerk or an a-hole or something else and then saying it, right? It's very different. So you can say things again, but the tone matters, The how you couch it matters, what else you've said matters. So, and again, really check in with your motive, really check in with, I know in that case, and whenever I've said anything very direct like that, it's to jar someone. It's, it's because I've tried already five other routes and nothing has happened. So I'm looking for some shift in thinking or, you know, some wake up or some paying attention that hasn't been there. And this, it's often very effective to say some different things. So loving detachment doesn't mean that you just, you know, go mmm, baby, oh, sweetie pie, you know, puppy dog tails and rainbows. But it does mean that you draw boundaries and are clear and sometimes can say that harder thing, but you do it again in that loving way. Really, really important. So. Okay, so those are the, my four ways for uh, four steps, I should say, to practice to get out of codependent patterns and relationships um, is to remember you can't control others, to separate yourself, to wait before you respond, and to practice loving detachment, to be loving but to pull yourself away. Now, uh, I'm going to end with uh, a three-step exercise. Which I've borrowed from a renowned loving detachment expert, Martha Beck. I love this one. Uh, I like it because it's getting clear about codependence and how happiness is an inside job. So, here it's a three step thing. Ready? So, step one is choose a person you love, but about whom you feel some level of anxiety, anger, or sadness. So, do that right now choose a person you love, but in some way you feel some level of anxiety, anger, or sadness about this person. Step two is identify what this person should do to make you happy, but using this sentence, okay? If blank would only blank, then I could feel blank, okay? So if, if Jack would only uh, help me with the groceries, then I could feel uh, loved. If uh, Becky would only stop nagging me, then I could feel appreciated, Okay, so if blank would only blank, then I could feel blank. And then she says, now delete the first part of the sentence. So it reads, I could feel blank. There, I know. Realize that this is the only honest truth in the sentence and know that you have the power to feel that way no matter what anyone else says or does. So it's not if blank would only do blank, then I could feel blank. It's I could feel happy, loved, appreciated, Honored, respected—you can feel any of those things. You can do any of that, but you can't wait for other people to give it to you. To free yourself of any codependent thoughts or actions, you've got to move your focus away from controlling others and what they're doing and saying, and towards creating your own happiness. Okay, I'm going to end the show today with a quote from Sam Keen. He said, "I love his quote. There are two questions," he said, "a man—I'm just going to say a person. There are two questions a person must ask him or herself." The first is where am I going, and the second is who will go with me. If you ever get these questions in the wrong order, you're in trouble. <laughs> and and there you go, it's it's not it's not the who it's it's where you are, where you're going. It's really putting your oars in the water and steering your boat where you want to be. Being knowing yourself, knowing your thoughts and feelings, knowing who you are, right? That means having a good, a solid, healthy relationship with yourself. Then. You can look around and decide who's going to go with you, how it's going to work, what's going to happen, but you keep that first thing first. Really, really important. Okay. That's it for today's uh, show. I hope you learned a lot about codependency, what it is, the filters to look for. Well, I know you learned a lot about it. Never mind, I don't hope Um, what it is, what to look for. Those filters, those four filters and the four ways to stop it, you know, to, to start get to get out of those codependent relationships and get into healthy, connected, happy ones. And I'm really happy you're with me today. It always means a lot. Please come visit me at the website, abbymedcalf.com. There's always great blog posts going on. Um, You can download the crash course for couples, uh, the five tools for it's the communications crash course for couples. It's my top five tools for couples. You can download that right on the homepage of the website And uh, I'm just looking forward to continuing to work with you. All right. Have a great day, everybody. And I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Relationships Made Easy podcast at www.abbymedcalf.com.